Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Uh, If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 16. And tonight we're looking at another text where Abram and Sarah just mess up. <laughs> we saw it before when Abram and Sarah they went down into, went down to Egypt because of a famine, and Abram hatches this stupid plan and says to Sarah, "Tell him you're my sister." Okay, and, and this isn't the same thing going on again. That actually happens again later. They go down. They they they. Uh, come into the presence of another king, Abimelech the second time, and Abraham does the same thing. But here, there's another plan. And this time it's Sarah's instigation. Um, Again, just like I pointed out when we looked at whenever they went down to see Pharaoh, um, the Bible doesn't have any heroes but Jesus. It shows us uh, how even even the heroes of the faith that we would that the New Testament lifts up as you know Abraham was a man of faith and and in First Peter we saw uh, if you were with us then in First Peter it lifts up Sarah and says you know we want to be like Sarah you know someone who uh, was was godly who was a holy woman of old um, but here. We see even those examples that we have in the Old Testament were sinners. They were broken. And they needed the grace that was to come. There's also in the background here, we remember that there is a threat to the promise. God had promised Abram that he was going to have Children, he was going to have offspring, descendants, a seed, and there were going to be as many children as the sands of the seashore and of the stars in the sky, but it hadn't happened yet. And Abram in this story is 86 years old. That's that's two years younger than my grandpa here that's with us. He's 86 years old, he still had no child. And Sarai, who's barren, she, maybe she was feeling like, you know, maybe this is my fault. Right? She's the barren one. And maybe she was feeling like this was her fault. And so she, she wanted to do something to try to answer God's promises herself in her own effort. You know, when God promises something, it's not for us to try to manipulate the circumstances to make it come about. We just trust in God's promises. But Sarah here, she didn't trust in the promise. Instead, she hatched her own plan to try to come up with a way to make this happen. When all along what she should have been doing was trusting in God's promise. Let's go ahead and look at our text beginning in Genesis chapter 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. 
she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me, you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against his kin kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Birid. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to come here and hear it. We pray that you would open our eyes and ears. And Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to trust in your promises. Lord, be with me. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, time was advancing. Time was advancing. Abram was promised a son. He was promised a descendant. He was promised offspring. And yet, where is it? 
God repeated His promise. He, he told Abram, you're going to have as many descendants as the sands of the seashore. You're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. You can look up into the sky, and if you can count all the stars, so shall your children be. It hadn't happened yet. And Abram and Sarah, they were getting impatient. So they took matters into their own hands. Now Sarai, Sarah is the the, uh, instigator here. Sarai, Abram's wife, notice this. There are many times here where it's, it's pointing out Sarai is Abram's wife, and Abram is Sarah's husband. Uh, that, um, that is repeated throughout this narrative, and I think the, the purpose of the repetition, her husband or his wife, uh, over and over again within this text, uh, is something that points us to the fact this was wrong, what they're doing. Genesis 1 tells us that Adam and Eve, uh, and, and therefore after him, uh, that, that a man and woman were to be joined together and let no one separate. God's design for marriage, his original intention, was that a man and a woman be united in marriage and that there would be no, uh, it was just one man and one woman. No um, polygamy was a part of God's original design. Yet it was a cultural practice that was common in that time. It was a culturally accepted practice. So because Sarah had borne him no children, she had this female Egyptian servant who was named Hagar. The word here that's used for uh, servant is not, uh, it's not the common word for a slave, but it's... Uh, it's a word that, that's more of a, a household servant, one that would be like her personal assistant that would help her with, uh, with day-to-day things. Also, um, this point, let's, let's also see here, it's, it's an Egyptian. Now, remember, let's step back a little bit. Who's writing this? It's Moses. Moses is writing this after he had led the people out of Egypt. Okay, so the, what's in the minds of the original readers is when they hear she's an Egyptian, okay, um, she's identified with those people that they had just been enslaved by for 400 years. But she's the one who's a slave in this picture. There's a kind of an irony here. It's, it's turned on its head. They, the, the people of Israel were coming out of slavery from Egypt, and yet here we have this Slave girl who's an Egyptian who is in the hands of Sarah and Abram. And her name was Hagar. Hagar literally means the sojourner. The word gar means sojourn. And the, the, the ha there at the beginning, that's, uh, that's actually the word for the. So the sojourner. Uh, so they're, they're, uh, that's all that we, we know of her. I mean, was her name really Hagar? Uh, or was, was she just not even named and she was just called the sojourner? She was the stranger. So Sarai says to Abram, 
Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Sarai, she understands that everything that comes into their life is from the Lord's hand. And she ought to be trusting, hey, the Lord has promised this, and I don't know how He's going to do it, but He's going to keep His promise. But instead, she says, since the Lord has prevented her from bearing any children, she says, go into my servant, that maybe, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Again, I said this was a culturally accepted practice um, during that time during, in the ancient Near East. If, a, if a, a, a woman was not able to get, bear children for her husband, uh, then they might take one of the servants within the household. And the, the, uh, it's similar to like a Leverite marriage, so, to a marriage where if a, if a man dies without raising up offspring, um, then his brother would then um, take him on the widow. Uh, well, similarly here, the, the, um, uh, if, a, if a woman was not able to bear children, she might give one of her servants to her husband to raise up a, an offspring. This was a culturally accepted um, practice, yet it was not a part of God's original design. God's original design was that there would be one man, one woman for a lifetime for marriage. We see the same thing happen later on in the biblical narrative. What happens whenever, whenever uh, Jacob marries both Rachel and Leah, these two sisters, and Rachel is unable to have children? She gives her servant to Jacob and raises up children that way. We see the same thing playing out in the lives of the patriarchs. Um, and so what, what I think we need to see here is they're doing what was culturally accepted at the time, yet it was wicked in God's sight. It was not following God's plan. And it wasn't believing in His promises. There's an application here. There may be things in our society today that are culturally accepted ways of doing things. Ways of looking at marriage. Ways of looking at family life that are culturally accepted, but they are wicked in God's sight. Let us not fall into doing the way, things the way that our culture does them. But instead, let us stand upon the Word. Let us do things the way that God has prescribed in His Word. And let us believe Him and believe in His promises. So, the text here tells us, so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, there he is again. Sarai is, is Abram's wife. Abram is Sarah's husband, and, Ab and Sarah is Abram's wife. It, it, it's kind, it kind of is a, is a no-brainer for us as we come to this story, but, but just listen to the repetition here. In the verse one, 1, it said, Sarai, Abram's wife. And here, again, in verse 3, it's 
Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Here, we need to think of this in terms of the larger biblical story. And I want to notice two words, the verbs here. Sarai took Hagar and gave to her husband. Does that sound familiar? Those two verbs put together. Does that sound familiar? Uh, She took Hagar and gave to her husband, just as Eve took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and gave to her husband. I think the biblical author here, I think uh, Moses, as he writes this, wants us to see here the disobedience of Sarah, just like she she was following after the footsteps of Eve. Just as Eve took from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and gave to her husband, here, Sarai does the same thing. She takes her servant Hagar and she gave to her husband for, as a wife. And what does Abram do? He goes right along the, the, this plan just like Adam did. He went into Abram, or I'm sorry, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived. Oh, what happened after Eve partook of the fruit? Their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. Here, and when she saw that she had conceived, that Hagar had conceived, she looked with contempt. On her mistress. So this was Hagar looking, contem- looking with contempt on her mistress. The word here, contempt, um, it's a word that also can be translated dishonor, and it's actually the same word in the Hebrew that we see in Genesis chapter 12 whenever. In the blessing to Abraham, he says, Him who dishonors you, I will curse. So here we have this this conception that takes place. And the first thing that happens with Hagar is when she notices, when she realizes she's pregnant, she looks at her mistress. She looks at this, this wife of Abram with dishonor, with contempt. And we know what happens to those who dishonor Abram. God curses them. She did not respond correctly either. She looked with contempt on her mistress. And then we see here, and and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. (laughs) It was her idea. You can imagine imagine, uh, Abram thinking, what did... Just like any husband in any argument between a husband and a wife. What do you mean? It was your idea. <laughs> you can probably picture like things like that in your own family. May the wrong be wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with me on contempt. With contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarah, she had hatched this plan. She thought this was going to be a good idea to be able to 
take matters into her own hands. And, and uh, since God had not yet fulfilled the promise, she thinks, you know, maybe this will do it. Yet immediately she realizes she was wrong. And it brings discord and it brings disunity and it brings contempt. I think this also reminds us of what happens in the curse because of, because of Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis chapter 3. What happens? There's a curse on the serpent. And then, then in, in when, when God speaks to the woman, He says, um, you know, your desire will be for your husband, and, but he will rule over you. Um, here we have uh, distortion of the relationship between man and woman. There is now, where there should have been harmony, there is now contempt and disunity and disharmony. Oh, and I almost left, left, uh, left this off. Go back to verse... Um, No, sorry. Verse 2, whenever Sarai had first made the suggestion, it says at the end of the verse, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That's another echo from Genesis 3. Because when God curses uh, the ground because of Adam, He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and here, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So all of this, I think we see reflections from Genesis 3 that are coming out. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Verse 6, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Abram didn't seem to have any concern for this young woman, did he? Here Abram is look, lift, lifted up in the New Testament as, as this great man of faith, but yet he is a sinner. And he, he did not have any concern for Hagar. He, he says, she's your servant. Just do as with her as you please. Even though he's going to have a son by her. Do with your servant as you please. In the law, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, it tells us, it tells the Israelites, it tells believers we are to love the sojourner, to love the stranger. Yet Abram didn't do that. Instead, he just told Sarai, do with her as you wish. Getting rid of the problem. Uh, as I think about this right now, I think of, of uh, how abortion is sometimes a way of trying to get rid of the problem. It's, it's, a, it's a sin of convenience where there's an unintended pregnancy And the way to do with it is just, 
Let's just get rid of it. Put it out of sight. And what does Abram do here? He says, just do with her as you please. So Sarai dealt harshly with her. She, the word here is afflicted. It's like afflicted. Uh, and and how, did the Egyptian, how did the Israelites feel whenever they were in Egypt? They were afflicted by the Egyptians. It's the same word there. She dealt harshly with her. And what does Hagar do? She flees from her. Let's move on. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, this may not be familiar to us, but Shur is on the northern end of the Sinai Peninsula, and it would be on the way down to Egypt. She was an Egyptian. She was being mistreated. And so her response was, I'm going to go back to Egypt. She's fleeing. She's, she wants to go home. But the angel of the Lord found her. And, and when we read this angel of the Lord, there's a bit of an ambiguity here. Uh, oftentimes we read of the angel of the Lord in, in uh, Genesis and in, throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And um, sometimes it's, it's very clear that this is talking about God Himself. And sometimes, we, we, we don't know, it is just a messenger from the Lord. Uh, it, it, there may be some ambiguity here, but here, uh, the way that this language is, is I, I would say that this is the Lord meets her where she is. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring. When she was fleeing, God found her. When she was fleeing, when she was in a bad, horrible situation, and she was fleeing from it, God found her. And maybe you've been in a horrible situation where you felt like you had to run, and God found you. He knows where you are, He sees, and He hears us. He found her by a spring of water, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Here's a more familiar language here. Similar to whenever God comes to the garden after the fall, after Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, and he says, Adam, where are you? The angel of the Lord says to Sarai, and it says to Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? He asks this question. Not because he doesn't know. But she says, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. This is... Why would he do that? She's being mistreated. She's being treated harshly. She's being afflicted. And the word there, whenever it says, return to your mistress and submit to her, is the same word that's used whenever it says, Sarah dealt with her harshly. She was, she was uh, subjecting her. She was putting her into subjection. And here, 
Hagar is told, return to her and subject, subject yourself to her. Why would he tell her to do that? I think probably the reason is if she doesn't go back, she's going to die. She's out there in the wilderness. She's fleeing. She's pregnant. And, and she's, she's going to die if she tries to go all the way back to Egypt on her own. And the angel of the Lord tells her to go back. And not only that, but I think also so that she would be under the blessing of Abram. God promises her there. The angel of the Lord said, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Here, we hear an echo of the promise to Abram. Abram is promised. You're going to have so many descendants, so many seed that... There will be more than the sands of the seashore. There will be more than the stars in the sky. And here, we don't see the uh, analogy, the, the word picture that we see here, but he, he tells Hagar, she's going to have so many offspring that they can't be numbered. This is for Abram's sake. This is, this is God keeping His promise to Abram. Though Ishmael, the child that will be born, is not the child of promise. He's, he will not be the one that God promised that would come through Sarah. Still, this is a child of Abram. And we'll see more of it play out here. It says in verse 11, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The word there, Ishmael, the, the, for the name, it means God hears. Now, let's think here. The word here, it's built uh, with the Hebrew root, Shama. It means to hear. Um, and it has El, El, like the word for God. The, the, the two are, are crammed together. There is another person in the Bible where we, where we know there's, there are two rival wives. And one is able to have children and the other is not able to have children. And the mother that was not able to have children, she cries out to God and asks that God would give her a child. And God heard her and gives her a child and he has almost exactly the same name. You know who I'm thinking of? Shemuel. Samuel. Samuel. Ishmael and Samuel are almost exactly the same name. The Lord heard the one who was afflicted. I think here we need to pause and think. We have all found ourselves at many times afflicted. We have found ourselves afflicted by many trials and tribulations where we don't know what to do and God hears us. And sometimes we don't feel like God hears us. Sometimes it feels like He's distant, like He's a million miles away and doesn't even have any concern for us. But we're to be reminded just like 
Hagar was seen in her affliction, that she was heard, God hears us. Verse 12, God now gives a a prediction of what kind of man this child will grow up to be. And it's not very flattering. It says, he shall be a wild donkey of a man and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. Here it's being set up that there is going to be conflict. There is going to be tension between the descendants of Ishmael and Ishmael and and the descendants of Isaac, the descendants of the promise. Just like we have seen from Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, the curse on the serpent said there will be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And, and as we see the biblical story play out, God, Israel's enemies are, are, are shown to be the seed of the serpent, whereas the seed of promise is shown to be the seed of the woman. Here, this is showing that they're going to be that Ishmael and his descendants are going to be trouble for for Israel. And we see this played out. The next time I think that we read about uh, the Ishmaelites, after the story of Abram finishes, the Ishmaelites, uh, who is it that sells Joseph into slavery? It's a band of Ishmaelites that are passing by. And they... and. Uh, Um, Joseph's brothers sell him to a band of Ishmaelites and they take him down to Egypt. And and we see that there's conflict between the descendants of Ishmael and Israel throughout Israel's history and even into today and and into history today. Because uh, the the Muslim people, uh, the Arab Muslims, they trace their lineage back to Ishmael, back to Abraham through Ishmael. And there's conflict and there's tension between those. That's what happens when we try to take God's promises into our own hands and try to fulfill them ourselves. But we trust and we rest in God. We rest that, and, and we trust that He will accomplish it for us. Not in our own efforts, but in trusting in Him. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. First, the child is named Ishmael because God hears. And now uh, she says that He's a God of seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen Him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called beer, that's, that's the word for a well, lachai, that would be the living one, roy, who sees. Well of the living one who sees, which lies between Kadesh and Berend. So Hagar has this experience with the living God. She knows that she's heard and she knows that she's seen. As we reflect on the fact that God is a God who hears and God who sees, there are two things that ought to come to mind. One is God sees us at all times 
even when we're doing wrong. He sees us. There is nothing hidden from Him. He sees everything we do, everything we say, and everything we think. And also there's something that's more comforting that we should think of. He sees us when we are in the midst of our affliction. He sees us, He hears us, and He cares for us, and He provides for us. Verse 15, And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Again, we see here, these great people of the faith were sinners just like us. Sometimes we mess up so badly and we think, how can God do anything with this life? I think it's helpful for us to think about these people we think of in the, in the Bible that were these great people, but they were sinners. They were wicked. They tried to take things into their own hands and didn't trust in God's promises like they should have. We, as we read this story, should be reminded we are not to be like Abram and Sarah were in this story. Instead, we need to trust in God's promise. Trust that He will do what He said. Trust that while things are bad in this life, while, while we experience many trials and temptations, while we experience all kinds of, of hostility in this world, He sees us, He hears us, and He is going to make good on His promise. And we can have confidence that He will keep good on His promise because Jesus rose from the dead. God fulfilled His promise to Abram. When Isaac was born, when Isaac was born, who then bore Jacob, who then had the 12 sons, who went down into Egypt, just like God told Abram it was going to happen. And he was, they were brought back out 400 years later. And we see the history of Israel throughout all the centuries until it comes to Jesus. God kept His promise. He kept His promise to Abram, and he kept his promise that he would, he would send a seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. And when we have faith in him, we have life. He brings about the new birth in our hearts, and we know that he's coming again one day. He's going to come in the clouds, and when he comes, he is going to put all of his enemies under his feet. He is going to set everything right. There will no longer be any pain. There will no longer be any suffering. There will no longer be any crying. There will no longer be any disease. And when we live in this life of affliction, we might cry out and say, God, where are you? Our job is not to try to take things into our own hands or maybe even try to, to go after culturally accepted practices to try to fulfill our own desires. But we trust in the promises of God and we trust 
that He is coming one day and that He will be our portion. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.